0: If you please uh, turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians as we are in there just today, I think. And we'll finish up this section. And then when I get back from General Assembly, hopefully it will be in Ephesians chapter 3, going through the first few verses of that chapter. Unless I hear something else at the Assembly that suggests I preach uh, something else. Please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, let's hear the word of the Lord. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit on the proclamation of God's word and this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a means of grace, the primary means of grace that you have given to your church And you call men and equip men to preach the gospel. And I pray, O God, that as you have called me and equipped me, that you would be with me this morning. For I am the first to say I'm not sufficient for these things that are before me. My sufficiency is in Christ. So, O Lord Jesus, help me. And be with the congregation as they hear. Keep our minds from wondering. Keep us from being distracted. And use us, O God, apply this to our hearts and minds. We ask that we may grow in grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes in life, we need motivation, like an individual who was on a diet and they kind of mess up and they get all discouraged and they kind of want to quit, and you have to encourage them, you're doing well, you've lost weight, keep going with what you're doing, don't give up. There was a movie released in 1967 called The Dirty Dozen. There was an individual, they were trained, it was a prisoner training to go into this German palace and take care of a bunch of German generals to help us win the war. There's a scene where one of the soldiers is climbing up a rope to a tower about 20 feet high, and he gets about 10 feet from the tower, and he tells the sergeant, I cannot go up any, I can't make it, I can't go any higher. And the sergeant is played by uh, Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin takes a machine gun and shoots the bottom of the, 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 the ropes, what falls to the ground. He, he can't go down. So he gets very uh, motivated and makes his way up to the top of the platform very, very quickly. Another story, and I can tell you about motivation, my father, when he was, was before he was married, was in Gulfport and Biloxi, and he was making his way out into uh, the, the uh, that's actually the Mississippi Sound, not the Gulf, and you can wait out a long way there and then not get over your head, I mean a long way, it's not like the uh, Gulf Shelf in Florida where you go out not too very far and it gets very deep very quickly. So he and a friend of his, and maybe three, I don't know, they were waiting out, and it took them about ten minutes to get out there, and he said something about four feet long swam past them. They made it in about two minutes. Motivation. In this text this morning, Paul is trying to motivate these Christians at Colossae. If there is ever a moment we can talk about people that need motivation, it's Christians. Every Christian... In his life, needs motivation. Some days more than others. But there is never a time in any believer's life when he does not need to be encouraged and not need to be motivated. That's the concern of the apostle Paul here. Everyone who is a believer, everyone needs to be encouraged and motivated. You face things day by day that are discouraging to you. You face things day by day that may even cause you to question the reality of the gospel. Where is God really? Is he really loving? Is he really just? Is Christ really raised from the dead? As I try to put all these things together, it is too much for me. I cannot comprehend it. And so everyone needs encouragement in the Christian life. Pastors need it. Officers need it. Lay people need it. Young people need it. Old people need it. Uh, Young adults need it. And children need it as well. The church in Colossae had been started by a man named Epaphras. He's with the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul tells these Christians there that he is struggling on their behalf. So something has happened. There's been some type of heresy introduced into the church. We don't know exactly what it is. The text does not tell us exactly what it is, but it has something to do with asceticism and angel worship. And the concern is this is like a cancer in the church that is spreading. And that their commitment to Jesus is going to be compromised. And if your commitment to Jesus is compromised, then you threat your eternal salvation. That's the concern of Epaphras. That's the concern of the Apostle Paul. And so he reminds these believers in chapter 3 and in verse 4 the ultimate end of their Christian experience, which is their resurrection and their glorification. He would have them keep this in mind to motivate them to keep on keeping on. And so we saw last week, they are to seek the things that are above. They are to place their heart there, their affections there, their desires there. That's where their treasure is to be. For where your treasure is what? There will your heart be also. So that he has encouraged them to do that, the things where Christ is. And they are to pursue these things consistently by Bible reading, prayer, attending unto worship, evening and morning worship. Uh, repenting, doing all of these things. But the best, best motivation for you to have as a Christian is the end for which you are saved, the zenith of your redemption, which is your own resurrection from the dead. I don't know how many times you reflect upon that, or if you do, it is reality that is coming. Think about it. We're reading the book of Revelation. The graves are going to be opened up. Those who have been lost at sea are going to be brought back. Those who have been turned to dust, you've got to be reconstituted and be alive on the earth. Such is the power of God. It has to see this morning that reflecting upon the certainty of your own resurrection helps you to continue faithfully in your walk of commitment to Christ. You don't focus on the trials per se. You don't focus on the challenges per se, but the ultimate end of the goal that God has for you, which is your own resurrection from the dead as he will raise, raise up the church in its entirety one day in the future. So three things this morning. Contemplating your resurrection encourages your walk of faith. It encourages your assurance. It encourages a future expectation. The first thing then, contemplating your resurrection encourages your walk of faith. As we travel along this road of blessings, bumps, bruises, challenges, there are times when we face things that we would rather not deal with. And remember this, and this may sound simple to you. You're participating uh, in life day by day. It may sound very, very uh, uh, ordinary, uh, very rudimentary. You are living life day by day, but the point is this. You are living your life day by day under the watchful eye of God. In Packer's book, Knowing God, that we, we studied chapter 9 this morning. And in that chapter, Packer said what Abraham needed to learn was he lived his life day by day under the watchful eye of God. Look at Abraham's life. What was he like? He was rather a scoundrel. When he was called, he was a moon worshiper. He had uh, two occasions where he lied about his wife and saying that she's not my wife. She's my sister. Here, take her. But over time, God matured him. And so that Abraham was able when called upon to sacrifice his son to take him up to do so. He matured in his faith. And you know in the book of Hebrews it says that Abraham was convinced that um, God was able to raise him up from the dead if he was to take his life. Well, here we are reminded that as we live our life, we are on a Christian walk. We are on a journey day by day, moment by moment. We are on a pilgrimage. And so in Romans four eleven and 12, he says this. He, this is talking about Abraham. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. When he was still uncircumcised, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be connected to them as well, to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in his footsteps. There it is, the Christian walk, day by day, moment by moment. And here's the question. Uh, Does God watch every move you make, every step you take? And the answer is, yes, he does. Does God care how you take those steps and how you move through life? And the answer is, yes, God does. Remember what's happening here. Again, the people in Colossae were being tempted to abandon the gospel and to embrace this doctrine of heresy, which would have forfeited their salvation. That's what's going on here. So the Apostle Paul in these verses is seeking to encourage them to faithfulness in their day-by-day living, to keep Christ before them and to walk faithfully in their commitment to who Jesus is and the demands of the gospel. And so in Romans uh, 6, 4, we were buried, uh, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by glory, uh, the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Everyone who is alive, everyone who has ever lived upon this earth, from Adam, the child that was born most recently today, is a sojourner upon this earth. Sojourner upon this planet, and every step of the way, there is God watching, and there is God observing, approving or disapproving of the lifestyle that you are living. So these Colossians, he would have them to continue to live faithfully before the Lord, not to embrace some nonsense that's antithetical to Christianity. Well, how do we make this journey successful? He says it here. It is a necessity it is a necessity that as we live our Christian life we do so in faith. We do so believing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians successfully participate in this life by employing their faith every single step of the way. Believe God, trust God, don't doubt God. Believe him completely without reservation whatsoever. That means we walk in belief of the reality of a spiritual world, reality of an existing God, reality of a Savior. All of these things need to be upon us, need to be in our minds and thoughts moment by moment. Because you forget that, you see. You're like Peter who is walking on the water and he's looking at Jesus. And he was doing fine, and then Peter took his eyes off of Christ, and what happened? He began to notice the squalls, the squalls, the the, the waves. He began to notice the wind. He began to notice the wetness, and you know what happened to it. Um, He sank. Well, that's going to happen to us if we take our eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to forget about the gospel moment by moment. We live under the watchful eye of our God. So we recognize that these things that we believe in, we do not see them. As Paul says, our life's hidden in Christ. We can't see God. We can't see Christ. can't see heaven. We can't see the angels. These spiritual things, we cannot see what we believe in them. Though we cannot see anything of heaven, though we cannot uh, smell anything of heaven, though we cannot taste anything of heaven, we believe in it. By grace, we believe in it. We acknowledge the realities of heaven are a mystery. They can't be proven immediately empirically. They can't be proven. Thomas Watson said this This shows us why people so poorly look at Christians because of no apparent benefit of their faith. If you look at the history of the church, people have suffered just because they're Christians. They've given their life for Christ. And non-believers see that and say, what a foolish, foolish thing to do. Well, again, Watson said, because we cannot see these things. Because believers don't seem to live on any kind of special blessing. The watching world says, what a foolish, foolish way to live. A foolish, foolish thing to think and to believe. These things cannot be proven. But simply because you cannot exhibit reality or empirically the existence of God... Christ, angels are heaven. Nonetheless, there's evidence of the existence of these things. Robert L. Dabney said this. There is a science of natural theology, and of it at least some certain and connected propositions, although limited and insufficient for salvation, evidences the existence of God. And this is well argued from Scripture, and it is. Psalm 19: "The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows His handiwork. Romans chapter nine of uh, chapter one, 19 and 20. What can you know about God is what we can know about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely, His eternal power. Divine nature has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world through the things that have been made. there was a creation. therefore there was a creator. You know, even pagans, even non believers, recognize you can, you can put an age on the world. And I've told you this before. You know, Carl Sagan wanted to, Sproul wanted to debate him about the, uh, the Big Bang. And that there was this matter, you know, you know how it goes, you know the, the, the theory of it. It was inert, it exploded, and what we see is now the product of that explosion. And Spro said, let's go beyond the marble-sized mass. Carl Sagan said, we don't need to. And bro said, yes, we do. Everything that exists, exists by the creative power of God, not by chance. Not by some quirk of luck. Rather, by the creative power of God. So though we cannot show heaven to anybody, we cannot show God to anybody, we cannot show Christ to anyone, we cannot show angels to anyone, We can show the reality of the creation, and God made that according to the scriptures, and the scriptures are not written in a vacuum. Well, since the spiritual world and all of its blessings connected to a future resurrection to be realized in eternity... We have to then, therefore, walk and embrace them by faith. The Bible talks about faith in many places in both Testaments. In the Old Testament, 27 times the word faith is used. In the New Testament, 250 times the word faith is used. Most often, the word faith is used in connection to saving faith, the initiation into the kingdom of God. What shall we do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, the initiating faith that brings us into the kingdom. But faith also expresses itself in the things that we do, Habakkuk two four again that great verse that I love so much. As for the proud, when his soul is not right with him, y'all can finish that I'm sure. But the just, justified by faith, shall live by faith, as we are called to do. Listen to this. This is in Romans. I mean Matthew uh, eight verses five through ten. When they entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward and to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. He said to him, I will come and heal him, but the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word. And my servant will be healed, for I too am a man of authority, with soldiers under me. I say to one, Go and he goes, to another come and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to them who followed him truly, I tell you, no one in Israel have nowhere in Israel have I found such faith. Is the faith to believe God's promises, a faith to believe God's word, no matter what your circumstances tell you, no matter what your heart feels, no matter what conclusions you may make from the things you hear from the people of the world, it is indeed that we trust God implicitly and believe his word always, always. Because God is not a liar. Men are liars. Men are untrue. Men are wrong. God is not a liar, nor is he ever wrong about anything. He's completely right in all that he does and all that he says and all of his works, completely right and righteous and just. And we are to believe him always. The place in the Bible where faith is really almost defined, although Sinclair Ferguson said that he's not really a definition, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Anybody know that verse? For faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What do we hope for? We hope for forgiveness of sins. We hope for the resurrection of the dead. We hope to be in glory in heaven. The assurance of things hoped for. That I'm assured of it. I'm convinced of it through faith. I have no doubt about it whatsoever. This is where we should be in our convictions. The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. The things we talked about. Heaven we cannot see. God we cannot see. Christ we cannot see. The angels we cannot see. We can't see these things. We can't show them to anyone. But I have the conviction of the reality of them by faith. Remember what faith is. Faith is a gift God gives to us. the regenerating faith of God. He gives it to us. And then you see our eyes are enlightened. Our minds are enlightened. We're given the spectacles to see things clearly. And we know that Christ came and died upon the cross of Calvary. We know that he was risen from the dead. We know that he sits at the right hand of God into making intercession for us. How do we know that? By faith. You can't go to heaven and see Christ at the right hand of God. You can't do it. But we know from Scripture and we know from history, if you will, Christ rose from the dead. We know it. Now, what happened? Well, people, a bunch of people hid him and they made up the story. He just swung on the cross. He didn't really die. He just kind of passed down on the cross. They got him out of the grave. Their soldiers got paid off. To, they got agreed with the whole scheme. They took Jesus away. They healed him up. And then he lived the rest of his life out somewhere in that part of the world. No, he was dead. No life. He was dead. No respiration, no pulse. And by God's great miraculous working, he was brought back to life on Sunday morning. I'm convinced of that. Again, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Then he goes on to explain faith at work in the remainder of the chapter, which you can read about that later. But the fact is, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, that faith should express itself and you're clinging on and believing what God has in store for you down the road, which is your own resurrection from the dead. As Christ is trying to move these Colossians to that point, so they would not lose hope, so they would not embrace some false doctrine, so they would continue walking faithfully, not being persuaded by things that are taught that are not true. You know, at the General Assembly... Last year, year before I think maybe it was the year before last, I can't remember. I heard someone say, I can't preach this because it would offend people in my church. I don't know that we're supposed to not preach the Bible because it offends somebody. We have to be loving, we have to be kind. I'm not saying we don't. But you cannot stand up before the assembly and say, The people I'm ministering to, this is, this is what they're like, and I can't preach this. That's not trusting God. There's no faith expressed in that. There's no belief in the power of the word of God to change hearts and lives with that kind of statement. We believe that he can change lives. We believe that the faith of what God's word is living in active, act of sharper than any two-edged sword. Do we believe that? Well, that's what the Bible says. We should believe it. So again, Paul encouraging these uh, Colossians to remain true. Uh, the second thing is contemplating the resurrection encourages assurance. Christians can become burdened down by despair. I heard when I prayed before, I mean, I listened to one of Alistair Begg's sermons some time ago. In his prayer, he was praying before he preached. He said, help us in our doubts. Help us in our doubts. Help us to overcome. Remember the guy that said to Jesus, if you can, uh, will you heal my son? Christ said, if you can. All things are possible for those who believe. The man says this, help me in my unbelief. You ever have doubts? You ever have questions about God's word and God's faithfulness to keep his promises? You pray the same thing, help me in my unbelief. Grant me the grace of God, repentance. So here, it's not easy living in a fallen world. The strongest of Christians can find themselves questioning and doubting. They can find themselves here in the call of the world where their first love is pushed aside for something in the world that the world has to offer that is actually foolish because it's fleeting and destined to be ruined over time. We may ask ourselves, am I really going to see heaven? Am I really going to be raised from the dead? It just sounds so glorious and so wonderful. It is so far beyond me. Well, you're not going to do it. God's going to do it. He can do all things. You don't have to worry about it. You have to think about the how of it. You have to trust in the reality of it. And that should motivate you and encourage you to live your life faithfully. And as we think about these things and we ask these questions, we have to remember this. Christ came into the world to fit us for heaven. Christ came into the world to fit you, to fit me, for heaven. We're not fit. Otherwise, we're simply not fit. Because we are, by nature, rather reprehensible to God. We are by nature objects of wrath to God. So Christ came; He took our condemnation upon Himself. He took death upon Himself for us. He rose from the dead, and now in His place, we have, as we trust Him, His righteousness given to us. We have salvation. He came to fit us for heaven, the Triune God. So that now the Spirit of God is working in us. Uh, so there is a, this uh, heaven is the home of Christ. It's the home of the departed spirits, right? Those made perfect. Listen to this. It's your home too. If you're a Christian, it's your home too. Do you believe that? Believe it without a doubt. You have a place in glory. You have a place in heaven. It is there for you at this moment. Just waiting to receive it. Such is the working of God. So it is an assurance to us as we think about the fact that our life is hidden with. In the Lord Jesus Christ. That means it is secure. That means nothing can happen to it. That means it is in heaven where Christ is. And that life is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hidden. No one can touch it. No one can take it from you. No one can take it away from you. It is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. The last thing that we have to think about here in the text uh, is what happens ultimately. That we share in the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what is written In verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's that's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to think about that. Don't read text. Let them just go over your head. Let them pass by. You read them and think about it. what is this saying to me when he appears? What's that mean? Well, He comes back again. The second coming of Christ, it was promised to us. And each moment that ticks off the clock brings us closer to that day. When he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Glorification. Glorification is going to take place. And we are going to be glorified in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just think you'll never have to worry about sin again. Never. You'll never be tempted to sin again. You'll never deal with the effects of sin again. Nobody's going to have cancer. Nobody's going to have diseases. We shall appear with him in glory. We read here in the text. One thing to keep in mind is meditating upon our own resurrection is a defense against despair. Unless you find yourself not believing it. That's where the problem is, you see. We don't believe God's Word. We don't really believe in the resurrection to come. We don't really believe in the completion of redemption. That's where the problem comes in. And what Paul, again, is doing here, what the Bible is doing to us here, as well as trying to encourage us all the more, that we are going to experience this one day. When he appears, we shall appear with him in glory. Christ's return in triumph is promised throughout the Scriptures. Christ promised it. Paul promised it. In Thessalonians, it is written about his return. In the book of James, James, the Lord's brother, says this, The judge stands at the door just the imminence of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ that is coming back, not as a babe, but as the great judge. And it helps us and promotes in us sanctification. It promotes in us steadfastness. It promotes in us courage to live our lives and to do so with great boldness. It helps us deal more with the trials that we have in this life. It also helps us to love this world less. So the question is, are you a Christian? Because this promise is not made to the world in general, it's made to believers. Are you a believer? Not are you religious. A whole lot of religious people are in hell. Are you a Christian? Are you trusting Jesus for your salvation and Jesus alone for your salvation? And if you are, you're seeking those things that are above where Christ is, which is what we all should be doing. This promise is for you. You look forward to your own resurrection from the dead. If you look at your heart and you're not a believer, then you're welcome to come and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as he has offered to you in the gospel. If you want to talk to me about it, one of the elders about it this morning, The Lord has placed it upon your heart. We'd be happy to do so even after the service this morning. We should never doubt God's power. We should never doubt God's promises. It is that though we do not see these things now, the reality of it is they exist. And they're yours in Christ by faith. Live encouraged lives. Let's pray.